So I just wanted to bring this up. I, we use this every year on St. Patrick's Sunday, if you will. This is a chalice that I have that depicts the life of St. Patrick. And so when you, uh, if you are lucky enough to receive the cup, this cup, just spin it around if you, if you can get it up from the clutches of whoever's got it. And then just take a look. It's like him praying, um, him going back to Ireland as a bishop, and then and when he was a little boy being carted away. When he was sick, his, he grew up in, in England. His father was a, a deacon in the church. And at 16 years old, he was captured, if you will, again, by some people from Ireland, not very good people, who enslaved him for a period of, I believe, six years. This is in the 500s. And um, he escaped and went back to England and became a, uh, a priest. So if I were St. Patrick, first of all, I probably wouldn't be called saint because I would not do what he did. He went back to Ireland, which I think was stupid. The people enslaved him for six years, yet he felt a need to go back and minister to them, which he did. And he became the patron saint, among others, of, of Ireland. And we celebrate his day in the church calendar on the 17th. And so do a number of pubs in town, I'm sure. That's what they do. There's green beer and all sorts of stuff I've seen out there, none of which that I think. I couldn't, I couldn't even think about a green beer myself. So let's look at that collet. If you've got it right there. This collet, along, if you take a look at our confession, which we're going to do in a minute, is kind of scary. At least it was to me when I read it. We beseech thee, Almighty God, that we who our evil deeds do worthy deserve to be punished. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not that evil. Susan is. And where's Tim? He's kind of evil too. And a few other people I could point out may be evil. But not me, Lord. You know, if, if you're going to judge me, please do it on a day when you're taking a nap or something because, you know, I'm the, we don't regard ourselves as evil. I don't think we do, but we are. I got another way of looking at this when I get through with the uh, confession. The confession is on page 75 of the prayer because we want to take a peek at it. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, okay, we know who he is, we have acknowledged and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, comma, word, comma, and deed. We're bad people. So what do you feel when you confess your sins? I feel sad because I, it's, if you have a personal relationship with God, you would do nothing consciously to upset him, is a way of looking at it. It's like upsetting, I, would, I do nothing consciously to upset my wife, because I heard her cry once, and I never want to hear that again. But when we're in a relationship with God, we do not want to offend him or do something that would make him sad. 
In fact, when I'm, when I'm doing things, and I'd like to think it's not often, but it may be more often than I'd like to think, I can feel a coldness on my brow because it's God in a way telling me you're going the wrong way, Buster. But when I do things that I think are pleasing to him, I feel sort of a warmth. So when we confess our sins, we don't have to necessarily look at ourselves as evil and bad and everything, but we have to look at ourselves when we confess our sins as upsetting God. And God is the closest thing we've got. He is not only our God, but he is also, if you have that personal relationship with him, he is also our friend. And we don't do things to people we love. Another way of looking at it, if you prefer to look at it that you are uh, evil and do evil things, then fine, go for it. But to each their own on that. I just don't like upsetting God at all. Paul's let open. So, I'm sitting in my little study yesterday morning, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this sermon this week? I thought, well, I'm going to concentrate on the last verse of each one of the lessons. Kind of a wacky, wacky, doodah way of doing things, but so that's the way I am at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. So, Paul's letter to the Galatians, the central theme is freedom and unity in Christ. They were straying a bit, and he was just sort of bringing them back to center. His letter addresses the Christians whose preoccupation with keeping the law was splitting the church. Verse 31, the last verse. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondsman slave, but of the free. That's a powerful, powerful sentence. As Christians, as we take on God as our friend, as our Savior, other words you can put in there too, is we take them on as our personal God. We are free. So the question is, do you look, do you feel free? Are you a happy Christian or are you a Christian that looks like they lost their last penny? You know, you see some people, and I know people, that are Christians, and they are the happiest people in the world. You, you walk up near them and you just feel this energy within them and you go to your city you say, I want whatever that person's got because I don't have it. But you can have it if you feel free when your relationship not only with God but with other people. We go at the uh, gospel. You know there's 120 miracles in the Bible both in Old Testament and New Testament. The parting of the Red Seas, you know, Old Testament. There's 35 recorded miracles that recorded is the key word that Jesus did. 35 recorded. There's a slew, I bet you, of ones that didn't get recorded. Because remember what Jesus said to some of them. He said, don't tell anybody. But they did. And it was recorded. Prayer is amazing. We say prayers for people to, during our service today and I usually like to know what I'm praying for. You know, we have names in there. We had, we had names in there a while back, and I forgot who the heck they were. So I like to cleanse that thing at least once a month and put names back in and get a report on the, what we're praying for with people. Are they working out? Are they getting better? Are they troubled? Are they sick? Do they have severe illness? 
We'd like to know what we're praying for because prayer does work. I remember years ago when I had my uh, cancer operation in that church in Florida. I was in the uh, pre-op room and they filled me with all sorts of nice drugs. But I knew one thing. When I left that room to go to the next room, I looked down the corridor and there were the Christian people from my church supposedly praying for me, laughing and eating pizza and drinking Coke. But I came through the operation all right. And I would like, I, 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 no thanks to them. Scoundrels, every single one of them. We need to pray. We need to pray not only for other people, but for ourselves. That we don't stray from the way he would have us, have us live. The feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in our lesson today from John 6. The key verse in John 6, 1 to 14, is not through 1 to 4. It is the 15th verse, which is not included in there, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But it's important enough to be in every one of the Gospels. And it's interesting to note that it does not change in those Gospel lessons significantly. It's all the same feeding of the 5,000, and you know the story well, but there's a story behind the story. Who said that? That newscaster. Here's a real story. Hmm? He's long gone. Paul Harvey. If I had a prize, you would win it. I'm looking for some worthless thing I can hand out. I'll give you a pen. I got, a, I got an extra. There is a story behind it. Jesus was just about ready to prove his divinity. People were wondering who he was. And um, let's just go into that for a minute. They had seen his, his, his miracles. Some of them were close by and, and saw them, and others heard from people that he had done certain things. Back then, they didn't have the you know, cell phones or I guess even pigeons or anything like that. What it was is word of mouth. And if you saw something, you go, guess what I just saw? Guess what I just heard? And go back and back and back and back. So they knew this was somebody special. They knew perhaps a prophet, perhaps the Messiah, Perhaps, 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 they didn't know, but they were like on the edge of their seat, wondering who this was. Now, Jesus knew that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod Hannibal. He had killed him. So Jesus took a ship to a deserted place near the city of Bethsaida on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Bethsaida was in Ituria, and Ituria was far from Galilee where uh, Herod the uh, Tetrarch uh, reigned. And so Jesus went to a place where he knew Herod could not get him. So he was safe where he was, out of the clutches of Herod. He was a ruler of Galilee and bore the title of Tetrarch. 
is referred to in, the, in gospel writings of Herod the Tetrarch, and also incorrectly as King Herod, as the title of King Herod actually stopped with his father. When his father died, the kingdom was divided, and Herod the God, Galilee. Herod the Great was one who put the newborn babies to their death. On, we celebrated the, uh, on the 28th of December, also the day Brenda and I got married. Happiest day for her. <laughs> and me too. Yes. It's John's Gospel. Uh, word has already spread among the people that Jesus was a prophet and so much more. He was a descendant of David and they knew their Old Testament and they knew that the Messiah would be uh, from the seed of David. And in John's Gospel, it says in the 14th verse, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that the prophet should come into the world. Now that's the 14th verse. The real ending is the 15th verse. It's got two things in it. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain, keywords, by himself. He needed to be alone and he needed not to be dragged off and be made king prematurely. But the feeding of the 5,000 is certainly a miracle. Do you believe in miracles in modern day time? Some people believe that miracles ended when Jesus was time. But I think miracles are all around us. Small ones, big ones, but they exist today. I know they exist in my life because I wouldn't be where I am today without miracles and somebody really looking over my shoulder because Andrew Faust by himself is not much. But with the help of God, I became a priest. And I never said I was a good one, incidentally. <laughs> but I became a priest. Miracles are out there. Are you spiritually enough awake to recognize them in your life? This is the key thing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.